Thank you for joining us. I'm Charlotte Snyder, and I'm podcasting from the Bondec Montessori in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Today, we have an incredibly special interview to share with you. In this podcast episode, I chat with Simone Davies from the Montessori Notebook and the Montessori Toddler. She shares some beautiful insights about Montessori approaches for dealing with tantrums and challenging behavior with very young children. She references a few books and links, which can be found on the blog, bondec.org slash blog, in the post accompanying this episode, which is called Interview with Simone Davies. Enjoy. So I am joined by Simone Davies. Hi, Simone. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for sharing a bit of your expertise. Can you share with our listeners just a little bit of your background? Sure. I'm a Montessori teacher based here in Amsterdam. I'm originally from Australia and I love working with toddlers. Um, I have a parent-child program that I run here in Amsterdam every day. And then I love working with families all over the world through online workshops and um, my book, Montessori Toddler. So it's been lots of fun. I've been in Montessori now since my kids were really small. And now my son is 17 and my daughter is 16. (laughs) And I fell in love with the Montessori approach when they were just toddlers and had to train and yeah. It's the oh, beginning. that's wonderful. Yeah. Oh, lovely. And so where can people find you on the web? Um, the easiest place is probably the montessorinotebook.com. Excellent, excellent. And we will have a link to that uh, on our blog. So uh, you said that you um, were introduced, you've been involved with Montessori since your children were little. So what was your first introduction to Montessori? Well, it's one of those things that you'd heard about before you had children and then Mm -hmm. you go to choose a school for your children and these kind of things you have to look at when they're babies. And I'm like, oh, I've heard of Montessori. I'll go to the open day. And when I walked into the classroom, I just instantly fell in love because the environment was prepared with so much care. The materials all looked so inviting. And the directresses themselves were so kind and respectful to the children and ourselves and we just thought it looked delightful, just like a little house where they could come and play and they'd be learning a lot as well. So that was how we fell in love with it and then started attending a play group um, with my son. And it wasn't long before I was doing my AMI training and becoming a Montessori teacher myself. Oh, wonderful. What age group do you tend to work with? With under three. I have one baby class a week and the rest are my toddler friends okay. up to three years old. And do they come with their parents or do they come mostly alone? With the parents to our classes. Um, I run a class called Jacaranda Tree Montessori here in Amsterdam. And the idea is by having the parent come with the children once a week to the program, they get introduced to the philosophy so that they can also apply the principles at home. So the children love it because they get to work and play in a beautiful, beautifully prepared Montessori environment. And the parents are there learning about the Montessori program. Oh, hello. London is enthusiastic. (laughs) She wants a voice on the podcast too. (laughs) Oh, that's delightful. How cute is that? Um, yeah, so they learn how they might set up their things at home. They watch me very closely and see how I'm interacting with their children. And I give them observation tasks or something to practice during the class as well. So it's really hands-on and the parents get to learn in lots of different ways as well. Sure. No, and so I imagine that working 
so closely with parents. All of us who are educators have that partnership with parents, but having them with you on site, it's a constant opportunity to observe how we would do things in a Montessori fashion and then to ask questions. And so uh, do you ever chat with parents about challenging behaviors or sleep or tantrums or any of those things that, that come up frequently when parents are concerned? I think every day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, do, um, are, are they, are they pretty typical testing limits, tantrums, sometimes a minor meltdown? Are those things pretty typical for, for childhood? Definitely. I think that tantrums are difficult. Parents are kind of torn as to what to do. They hear some people put their children into timeout and that doesn't feel right for them. So what are the alternatives? Because maybe their partner thinks, well, if you're giving him a hug to calm him down after a tantrum, how's he ever going to learn, you know, to behave? And um, so I kind of talk them through how we can help them calm down. And then if they've actually done something to hurt somebody else, how they can then make amends as well. So that's the taking responsibility for their behavior. Sure. But that happens like once the child's calmed down. So tantrums is definitely a difficult topic. And what if my child hits another child or interferes in someone else's work and all of these challenging things they come up I also did a workshop in Australia when I was visiting my family and I'm like oh it's good to see that these problems are you know all around the world they're there's nothing different here yeah they're universal all of us struggle with this so what what causes tantrums it can be so many things for example toddlers love a sense of order and so you I'm sure you've talked about this many times about how they like to know what to expect and something to them that's very important like eating breakfast with the same spoon and that might not be possible for them if the spoon's not available they might have a tantrum about that because it didn't go the way they expected Um, it might be them pushing a boundary seeing oh well does this apply to me so for example a child might get up from the table with a cracker and will say oh we eat at the table I'll put the cracker back on the table and then they melt down because they want to walk around with their cracker so it could be that they're testing a limit and seeing what how I respond or how the parent responds and these kind of things um and it could just be that they're having a lot that they need to release so sometimes a parent might have been traveling and come back and they're kind of letting out everything that they've been holding in their systems so it's a very emotional time for toddlers and what I love about them though is that they have this big tantrum this big emotional release and when they can fully release it and it's a safe place for them to do that rather than oh come on let's get make it better and look have you seen this and they're trying to distract them from it when we see them fully process these tantrums then they kind of have a big sigh like at the end and then they go off and they toddle around and they're happy um as if something never happened and I just love that they wear their heart on their sleeves but then they just move on just as easily as well and then when we when we distract them we're kind of I don't know delaying it that 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 energy has to go somewhere and so if you're not learning the coping skills to to go along with those emotional things then when you do have an outburst even at a later age, you don't know how to deal with it because it's been uh, distracted or, or put off by some external means. Yeah, exactly. And we try and teach them then at a young stage, like we're here to help you. So if they're having a tantrum, some children would, we can offer them a cuddle and they really want to sit in our laps and, you know, go through all the emotions that it might be at first, like anger and then sadness and then grief and then embarrassment. And then they kind of come out the other side. So it can go through all of those phases. And another child, you might try and offer a cuddle and they'll push you away and they'll throw themselves on the ground. And that's okay too. So then in that situation, I just keep checking in with them to remind them that we're there 
but just keeping them safe. So if they're really banging their head, look, I'm going to put a pillow under your head because I can see that you might hurt yourself um, and those kind of things and just supporting them that way. Because other parents also say, oh, shouldn't I just ignore a tantrum because I'm just giving energy to it or interest or, you know, they'll keep wanting it. And I say, well, it's the same as if you had a bad day and you were telling your friend or your partner and they just walked out of the room to ignore you, you'd feel like that person doesn't even care about me. So I don't recommend that. But I also, yeah, just offer them calm support. And I don't try and say it was just the wrong spoon or trying to talk to them while they're in that tantrum because as Dan Siegel talks about in The Whole Brain Child, when they flip their lid, their prefrontal cortex, which is all the rational part of their brain about why they should stop crying right now, isn't even available yeah. to them because they're you know, really in the animal part of their brain. So it really is calming them down, getting that lid to close. And then after, once they've really calmed down, you could help them make amends and talk about how yeah, they can do it next time or something. Yeah. Like that. Well, we have uh, mostly older children at Bondec. We have one classroom of that, that toddler age, but we have a n- number of children who are of that we call primary age, that two and a half to six. And uh, mm-hmm. they, they do a good job at tricking us into thinking we can talk through it. And they, they're so verbal and they're so articulate and they're so bright and they're making all these connections. And so then when they're starting to have a meltdown or it's the end of the day or you know whatever the catalyst was, we start this negotiation and we have to remind ourselves that that's not fair because there's not going to be a negotiation about cookies for breakfast. Uh, having mm. having those verbal skills can sometimes lead us in the wrong direction in the same way that we try to distract. Uh, we're trying to avoid that tantrum. And so engaging in conversation is kind of a distraction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, can we, or should we try and prevent a tantrum if we can see a tantrum coming or can we set up the conditions to try and avoid tantrums? I think this is a great question because one thing that Montessori teachers love to do is prepare our environment. And so I also encourage parents to set up their homes to make things run more smoothly because if a child's always wanting to pull a plug out of the wall and that's becoming a point of contention, every time you have to say no, then there's this battle and then they get upset, then actually we can avoid these kind of tantrums to start with by setting up an environment to be as child-friendly as possible because there's always going to be things that they're going to find that they need to test boundaries about. They might want to run on the road and these kind of things. So really I just try and say, let's try and avoid as many as we can, but it's also okay. Sometimes we say, Oh, we should have known that they were hungry right now. And that happens. And that's okay. I think sometimes we protect them. Some parents are so good at protecting them from tantrums and then it gets to four and five years old and this behavior has to come out sometime and it's bigger and bigger at a four or five year old level. So I'd say not, don't be scared of tantrums, um, but you can take preventative measures like um, taking a little bag with some small things to play with while we're at the cafe, except, you know, rather than expecting that they're going to want to sit down and mm-hmm. talk to us as we're drinking a coffee, um, you know, just a little vehicle or a little coin to post into a box or a jar that we can open and close, um, depending on the age of the child, something that they're interested in, a book, um, some, a little notepaper and some pens and things like this. So I always like avoiding the tantrum if we can by setting up the environment or being prepared Um, making sure they have food, water and snacks like that are available um, when we're out for longer periods. But um, it's okay as well. I know people are really scared of tantrums out in public, for example. It can be embarrassing (laughs) or you feel like everyone's staring at you and I I can't leave this situation. 
Yeah, definitely. And so if your child will let you move them to a place that where they have, if they're having a difficult time, like I can see you're having a hard time here and I'm going to lift you up and remove you from the supermarket and they'll let you, then that's great. But if they're kicking and pushing you, then you might just have to in situ deal with the tantrum just as calmly as you would. And actually, I think you'll garner respect from the people around you um, because you'll be staying calm and supporting your child. And if not, you can translate for these people because I've had um, some parents say, they looked at me and they said to me, why aren't you picking up your child right now? And if anyone's tried to handle a five-year-old who's having a hard time, you know, they're really strong. Um, and so you can say, oh, it sounds like we're making it very loud for this lady and you really have some problems. So at least they feel acknowledged that they're trying to help and we're also just mostly focusing our attention on our child um, as opposed to feeling angry at this other person. I mean, they're also having their space affected by a noise of a child having a hard sure. time. So we have to appreciate yeah. that as well. No, so it's this careful balance of not being fearful of a tantrum or knowing that this is possible and that this is developmentally very natural and that all of us had tantrums and, and every child everywhere is going to have a tantrum at some point. And some of us are a bit more sensitive to that. And some of us have a much more leniency in terms of what we're what we're comfortable with, and then um, also not not inviting it, not not testing our child's limits to say, oh, I wonder how much you could cope with. Okay, cool. There's your limit. You know, not not pushing them um, or knowing knowing uh, how to set the conditions up for success. Because when your child is successful, you're you're also successful. Yeah, I think what's also really important is for parents to also be on the same page because if you have a child who's melting down, maybe let's just say that they wanted an ice cream and you're saying, oh, yeah, you really wanted an ice cream and we've had a, a treat today or, with, you know, whatever reason you decided that it's not going to be a, a, yep. an ice cream and then your partner goes along and says, oh, it doesn't really matter if they have an ice cream. Shall I just get it? And they go away and they get the ice cream. Then you actually kind of undermine yourself and it's not consistent and the child doesn't really know then what happens. And, yeah, it's like changing a traffic light. Normally it means red. But today it means green. Oh, now I'm not even sure what the traffic lights are the next time I come. So I think it's actually really important. It might happen one or two times and then you're like, okay, we can't let this happen again. We have to be this consistent front to our child. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good analogy of the, the traffic light of not knowing which way is up. And so we're almost, we're almost inviting more testing or, or more uh, tumultuous behavior. Uh, so if you experience different behaviors uh from children as, as a parent and as an educator. We talk with parents at school about, they'll say, my child's different at school with you than they are with me at home. And so we talk about how the school environment and the home environment are different and that we, we naturally act differently. I, I act one way with my husband and I act a different way with my colleagues and I'm still the same person, but these, <laughs> these are natural differences. Um, and so sometimes the, the home environment parents might experience more tantrums at home than we say, nope, we don't, we don't necessarily have that at school. And so have you, have you experienced that as, especially as being, uh, both a parent and an educator? Yeah, I think that definitely, I hear that from parents, like they say that their behavior is different. We have one child who hits a lot at home and in our environment, they're so um, engaged with all the materials and everything's set up for them and their parent has their, you know, two hours of attention. So um, it, it is different than at home when you're trying to cook dinner and then the phone rings and they're distracted and pulled in lots of directions and they can get into a cupboard 
because they can climb now and they're testing limits in different ways. So definitely it's different. They also, the relationship that you have with the teacher and with your parent, the parent is often usually the safe place for you to practice and see what is okay. And, or also they might hold themselves in, in an environment where like at school and these kind of things. And then when they get home, they release more of these emotions where they feel very loved and cared for. And it doesn't feel very nice to parents, but I do say it's an honor when your child feels so safe that they can. Oh, that's a lovely sentiment. Uh, so that's, oh, that's just so touching. Well, what do you think about using bribes and sticker charts and other incentives for behavior with children? Yeah, I think the problem with bribes and threats and any of these external trends, sorry, external motivations and extrinsic motivations is that it's always reliant on someone else. So if you're good, you'll get this. So it means that me as the adult or the person who's going to give the reward, um, it involves me. So actually in Montessori, we're trying to build self-discipline yes. and intrinsic motivation. And so it's actually, even though it's a quick fix sometimes to so like, oh, look, I'll just give you a sticker if you go to the toilet or I'll just give you a sticker if you clean your room. It doesn't actually mean that in the long run, they're going to actually learn that. They What if a stick is not enough for, for yeah. a six-year-old? All of a sudden, they're going to want a toy and they get the, you know, the prize the, the, or the price will rise of what they want in return. And so actually, there's a great article by Alfie Cohn about five reasons to stop oh. saying good job. And good job and praise is very similar. It's just like people think that if I praise and praise and praise my child, then they'll want to do it more. And actually what it's been shown is that they get less motivated because it's actually they're not so satisfied. They're just waiting for someone to tell them good job and they forget to actually enjoy the work just for enjoying the work Mm -hmm. for the mastery. So um, instead of bribes and threats, we try and find ways to work with the children to get their cooperation, which is sometimes a longer process and it can also change. So some children like to have choices. For example, would you like to wear the blue shirt or the red shirt today? Um, Some children who are a bit older might like to have some control over the order that they're going to get ready for their um, bedtime that they might wash brush their teeth first and then have their bath or they have their bath first and then brush their teeth and so they get some a little bit more flexibility it's not giving them choices about what school they're going to go to and not those kind of huge decisions but the daily life kind of decisions they feel in control or it might be about how we speak with our children so instead of threatening them we give them information for example oh your shoes go over here and waiting and giving them time to process our request. Um, So I like to count to 10 in my head, not aloud, just because I realize I just want to say it again and I just want to say it again. And the more that we nag and repeat ourselves, then they start to tune out, then they get really irritated. But actually, if you count to 10 in your head, you find by about eight or nine, often they start to move and then move shoes to where we pointed. I also like to see how few words I can use because I think they tune out sometimes when we give all these sentences and we're going to the park and we're going to need our shoes and and they don't know which bit to focus on and so I might just say we're going to the park and then just wait and then they might even start to you know go and get their backpack or start to get ready themselves Um, or if a child wants to put an activity back on the shelf and they're standing with the tray I might just tap the place, the empty spot on the shelf where it belongs, and just tapping the shelf might be enough for them to, you know, remember where it goes, as opposed to it goes over here, you're going to pack it away, and giving them so many words. So I think also how we talk with them also really helps the cooperation as well. And when you're working with them and not seeing everything as a problem, I even ask young children, oh, you know, you want to 
the at, say at the playground and I need to cook dinner how are we going to solve the problem and you know maybe then they come up with an idea that they're going to help cook the um cook the dinner or they're going to set the table while you um, prepare the food and you do actually come to an agreement where you find a way that you can stay at the park for one more moment um so or it could be getting their agreement making sure that they know that we're going to leave the park in five minutes so what's the last thing that you want to play on and then they're aware of it and also we give mixed messages we say we're leaving the park and then we bump into a friend and then we start chatting for five minutes and Again, that's an inconsistent thing. They're not really sure whether mum means we're really leaving the park or not now. So I'm really conscious of that. And I, I noticed it a lot with my son. I was very much like always trying to keep him happy and, okay, I'll give him one more turn on the slide and all these kind of things. And then um, the park, leaving the park just got more and more gruesome really because no matter when I said, okay, it's time to go, he was just going to get upset. And then by the time my daughter came along 16 months later, it was so much clearer for me that I just went, oh, we're leaving the park now. and there was never this wishy-washiness of my messaging. And I was just like, oh, you know, it's always easier the second time around. And I wish I had have known this earlier. So I'm passing on that now to learn from my mistakes is to just be very clear when you're going to leave the park and, and transition moments can be difficult for children. So maybe it's singing a song. For example, when we're moving from our snack time into our singing time, I start humming the circle song and I feel like the Pied Piper, <laughs> but actually the children really know it's singing time. So they stand up and they start putting their um, plates and their um, cutlery and their placemats away in our dirty dish area. And the parents just are always amazed that they just start then um, coming into the area where we sing. So helping these transition moments could, yeah, it might be singing or doing the same thing every time. It really helps children understand what's coming yeah, next. Yeah, having those, we're not just preparing the space, but then we can prepare ourselves so that when we're going anywhere with our child, we're having still those same kind of cues or that same kind of order um, to help them to help set them up for success so that they, they know what's coming and they still have that same sense that this is secure and my caregiver means what they say and that they're reliable. And, and even knowing that is enough to kind of help you feel, feel settled. There's actually one other thing that you just mentioned about preparing ourselves. And I think that if you want to act this way with your child and to have the patience and to get their cooperation without threatening them and bribing them and you know sitting with them while they're having a tantrum then we need to be calm parents and we need to prepare ourselves and take the time to make sure that we're getting the self-care that we need so that we can be more available to them that we're not being distracted that we try and do one thing at a time we get enough sleep um and you know really take care of ourselves because it goes straight out the window as soon as we're run down or haven't had enough sleep, or being very, very busy. So I think really um, preparation of the adult, which Dr. Montessori talked about when she was talking about her teachers, also applies to parents as well. And when I get into my classroom, I put on an apron every day. And then it really, for me, signals I'm you know, becoming a teacher now and separating anything that's happening in the home environment from the school environment. And I think that parents, sometimes working parents, for example, could in Amsterdam, yeah. we go on our bikes usually to cycle between places to really take that five or 10 minute cycle to come to school to pick them up to think, okay, I'm going to start to leave everything from work um, at work so that I can really be 100% present at least for the first 10 minutes while I reconnect with my child before we get busy cooking and 
you know, trying to do the nighttime routine. Um, so that could be nice too. So maybe more, it's a car trip for people over there in South Dakota <laughs> oh, yeah. or um, a walk. No, sure. it's definitely cars here in South Dakota. Uh, it would be lovely to ride bikes, but uh, I think there's a small window and we could do that. <laughs> So wonderful. And so before we go, um, you wrote a lovely book. Um, are there resources in your book for um, more about tantrums and particularly for this this very young toddler age group? Yeah, the books that I recommend are always the How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk book by Faber and Maslich. I think they have some a really nice chapter on alternatives to punishment and a chapter on getting cooperation with your child. Um, so I think they're great. And I also really like the Positive Discipline books um, by Jane Nelson. She has them for different age groups and one especially for the first three years. Um, she goes into detail about how for children around three years old, you can set up a calm space um, where children then can start to go when they're starting to get upset and angry, you know, you can invite them. Would you like to go to the calm place? And it's not a timeout place because the child's in charge. It's actually somewhere nice to go with maybe some of their favorite books, their soft toys, you know, somewhere that they can calm down, but they're learning to get the skills. So when they're toddlers, it's us that's helping them calm down. Then at the calm place is them transitioning to them calming themselves down. And then hopefully a grown adult who is able to do some breathing and, you know, manage their, their big emotions in that way. Um, so I really like the positive discipline books well, for lovely. those as well. Those are all phenomenal resources. And like uh, directing people to your site, we will have those available on the blog so that people can just uh, one click and they're, they're there. So thank you so much, Simone, uh, for, for joining us and for sharing a bit of your expertise. It's always wonderful to hear your perspective and your expertise on this very young age group. Oh, I love talking with you. And um, let's chat again thank soon. You. Bye-bye. It's always such a delight to speak with Simone. She is such an abundance of knowledge, and she shares it in such an eloquent way. She mentioned some articles, some books, some great resources. All of those can be found at the blog, bondec.org blog, in the blog post that accompanies this episode, which is called Interview with Simone Davies. Thanks so much for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at Bondec and email us with comments, questions, and suggestions at hello at bondec.org. Until next time.